Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the opportunity to consider the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would be active. I pray that he would come and convict and, and reveal areas in our life where we've misconstrued this idea of holiness. And maybe we've even guided others in a way that doesn't produce genuine holiness. Either way, Lord, we do pray for your word to have its effect. We want to be changed. We want to walk close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last time we talked about the milestone of knowledge, doing these four milestones of discipleship, as we've been calling them. Milestones being these ways that we can understand how far we're getting with people and watching them grow as we take them through uh, so that they can obviously eventually come and be a disciple of Christ, not necessarily just sort of always you know, learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth, but always learning and gathering from the Lord. That knowledge is a pivotal uh, milestone when you're making a disciple um, in that it gives people the ability to both navigate Scripture by knowing its construction and it gives them the ability to interpret scripture based on hermeneutics. Now, we'd, again, we didn't cover hermeneutics or even Bible construction last sermon. We just talked about the importance of those things. And so in the same way, I'm not going to be fleshing out this idea of holiness. I'm not suggesting the things that you cover with your, the person you're discipling. I want to make it clear why holiness is one of these milestones. I want to show the importance of holiness. To understand the importance of holiness, it is important that we know what I'm really getting at. Holiness is a command. And it's not a command to sort of, in a disassociated way, sort of this pie-in-the-sky thing that we often think about holiness. It's this theological word that means I should be a certain way, I'm not, so what? Well, it says in Leviticus chapter 11, after Jesus I'm sorry, Jesus. Well, according to Jude, it was Jesus. But after God had given them, given them the law of um, what not to eat, what to eat, clean and unclean things. In Leviticus 11, this says it various times in the Old Testament, and it says it, uh, Peter says it in the New Testament. But in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, after giving them the law, he says, why I've given you standards of holiness? He says, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall, therefore, be holy, for I am holy. The command is to be holy. And you're like, yeah, I get it. Not act holy. There's a difference. A big difference. We don't want to be actors, which in the Greek would be a hypocrite. We want to be holy. We want to be as God is. God is holy. When, when God lays out what holiness is, he's not saying what he cares about only, but what he is. When we had the, we've been doing these evening services, as um, Pastor pointed out, uh, we've been having various speakers talk, and one of those speakers was a guy named Mike Shirley, a good friend of mine, and he did a sermon series 
on identity in Christ. And what he emphasized about identity was very important. It's something that we sort of overlook. Identity is known by what you do. What you do is what you are identified as. Okay? The things that you do dictate the person that you actually are. And we don't want to miss that because then we're going to kind of miss this command to be holy. When little children tell you what they're going to be when they grow up, they don't say, I think I'd like to do construction. I think I would like to work in the area of medicine. They say, I want to be a construction worker. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a craftsman like my dad, perhaps, right? I want to be these things. It's a statement about identity. God lays out the law. He gives a command for them to be something. Moses said they had to be circumcised of heart to do that. Ezekiel 36 says that God must remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh to bring in his spirit so that you would walk in his ways, that he would cause you to walk in his ways. Being holy is an identity, and we're identified by that. We don't want actors. There's three types of people in this world. There's the believers, there's the unbelievers, and there's the actors. The believers serve the Lord. They're not be perfect. They're like the publican, Okay? They beat their chest and say, be merciful to me as sinner, and they walk away justified. They are growing in righteousness. They're ever headed that direction. The unbelievers don't really care about God. They have no mind to God. Whether they are ignorant of God or they know about God, they reject Christ, they reject the Bible, they reject all that. They live for themselves. I decide what's true for me. You decide what's true for you. Whatever. That's the, that's the unbeliever. And then you have the pretender. You have the hypocrite. You have the actor. This is the most damaging individual in life. The actor. He's damaging. She's damaging. What do I mean by that? Well, this is often the reason that many sons and daughters don't want anything to do with the church. They don't want anything to do with God. Because all they saw exemplified to them, was a hypocrite. Was somebody who played church, was presumed to be Christian, said all the right things, even seemed to do the right things in public, but when isolated, they acted as they really desired to act. I should say, they were who they were. Everything else was an act. It's one of the most painful things to realize. It's the most, one of the hardest things to forgive in someone. It's hypocrisy. If a man is caught in adultery, for instance, and he's been lying and cheating and sort of scheming and playing the, playing the role as a good godly husband, but has actually been in sin, if he is caught, the most difficult thing about that is no one ever really knows if they're sincerely repentant. No one knows. They have acted thus far, and it's very difficult to know if they're acting now. It's very difficult. If they are in sin and they can't live with it anymore, they're like David. They try to exist in their sin, and their bones feel like they're rotting away, and they must come clean about what they're doing. 
This is someone that we can understand. This is someone, a repentant sinner. This is a person that speaks our language. They weren't coerced because they were caught. They genuinely come because they want to be right with God. We can understand that. Jesus has sympathy for the weaknesses of such. But the hypocrite, very difficult. And we don't want to be a breeding ground for hypocrites. We don't want our discipleship to turn into a hypocrite factory. Because even Christians can be hypocrites. They can live that way. And a way that you can start to sort of develop a hypocrite is to give them all kinds of standards, rules. It's, it's, it's this type of standards that are given that aren't faith-driven, so they're just sort of these rules that, oh, okay, so if I do these, I'm good with God. Yes, you're good with God. Yes, begin your role. And the best actors become the most ferocious divas. You will eventually see it. They seem to have a holy life, but they want nothing to do with other Christians. They're not loving. They're not kind. They don't emulate the holiness of God. In other words, holiness is not just about what you refrain from. It's about what you engage in. It's how you're engaged. That's what distinguishes you in the world. When you get a bunch of people together, you can, you can see who is who and what they're about based on not just what they refrain from, but what they engage in. See, the world, the, the world of the unbeliever, they, they engage in sin. In 1 John chapter uh, 3, we covered this before, but I just absolutely love 1 John. I can never get over this book. It's just so amazingly clear. He doesn't mince words. First John chapter 3, he says, we'll start in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Moreover, I'm sorry, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Very clear. Unbelievers engage in sin and refrain from righteousness. Believers engage in righteousness and refrain from sin. This is in verse 10. By this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. We engage in righteousness. We engage in love. If you were to put the unbelievers and the believers in one room and observe them and they were only refraining, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between any of them. Some of you are living your Christian life that way and you shouldn't be. Don't think that you're being identified as a Christian by what you refrain from. Because nobody can tell. This is those situations where after two years of working with an unbeliever, they say, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. Well, you should have known. Right? Why? Because you didn't go to the bar with everybody? Because you don't cuss? That was, that was your big flag? You never once raised the name of Jesus? Never once reached them with the gospel? Never once showed love? Being disciple in holiness does not mean you know what to refrain from, but rather what to refrain from and what to engage in. It should be both. 
It should be both. That all comes from an identity in Christ, an identity in Christ. So the reason that holiness or discipling holiness is so important in these milestones is because it reveals identity. It reveals identity. And identity is important. There's three ways in which this is important, this identity to be revealed. Number one, it's important to reveal the identity of the disciple. Second, it's important to reveal the identity of the discipler. And thirdly, it's important to reveal the identity of Jesus Christ to the world. That's what holiness is for. It's not to keep up with people. It's not to be an actor, to be a hypocrite. You remember the story of Jesus? He said the story of a, a guy who owed the king a lot of money, a whole lot of money. He stood before the king. He's caught in all this debt. Stands before the king, and the king sees him weeping and crying out for mercy. Forgives him. He goes out, takes somebody who owed him a very minimal amount by the throat. Threatens to throw him in prison if they don't pay back every penny. The servants see it. They bring him back to the king. And what's the king do? He puts every bit of load back on him. He says, go to, go to prison. You're not, going, you're not getting out until you pay every penny. You're done. Why? Because the man hadn't changed. He hadn't changed. He'd been caught in some, some debt. When he was confronted, he begged for mercy. Sure. Then when he got on his own, what did he do? That's what's so frustrating about this cheap grace thing that keeps getting pushed in the world. Invite Jesus into your heart and all your problems will go away. Jesus is here to serve you. And then they go do whatever they want. We're all confused about it. How come they just don't want to, they can't seem to want to serve God? They don't want to be like Christ. Why is that? Well, they had a misunderstanding about what holiness was, what God was calling them to. We talked about trajectory last time, about how when you're setting up knowledge for somebody, you're showing them how to interpret Scripture properly, you're showing them the Bible construction, they have all this information. You can set that arrow, you can aim it perfectly straight, right at the target, exactly where it ought to go, but when you release it, if it goes off to the left or the right, if it wasn't the trajectory, you got yourself a bad arrow. It's twisted, it's curved, it's not straight. It's not a straight arrow. In the same way, an unbeliever who's going through a discipleship program, if you're you're discipling somebody, you don't know if they're saved or not, they may stumble through the knowledge portion, but they won't be able to get through the holy portion. You can't pretend to be Christ-like. You can't. It's not in you. It says that in Romans, that a heart set or a mind set on the flesh cannot please God. Can't be done. And so we have to be careful as people that are discipling others not to affirm somebody in a false identity. Don't do that. Well, they said a prayer. Who cares? They have a holy life. When somebody comes and they share their testimony to the elders to get baptized, we don't just ask them the story of when they got saved. We ask them, okay, since you've given your life to Christ, what's life been like? If they're like roses and butterflies and wonderful, right? We're a little skeptical of that. If they say, well, I've, since I've come to Christ, I've been convicted about many things in my life that I need to get rid of. And I'm slowly working my way that way. I'm not perfect yet, but I, I strive to be holy. We know that there's definitely a seed of faith going on there. Because when someone's born of God, his seed remains. 
and they can't keep sinning. They can't be, it can't be done. Crooked arrow. Something we got to understand about holiness, right? You're not unholy because you land off target. You landed off target because you're unholy. You see? You haven't been shaped. You haven't been made into the type of arrow that flies straight. Twisted. Crooked. And we don't want to pass those people along like it's okay. Holiness needs to be something that's attached as our identity as believers. And it will reveal if a disciple is actually a Christian or not. We don't have to keep hanging fruit on them. We understand that they're not going to be perfect. But if they keep making the same stuff and they just keep rolling back in, they're more than happy to play Christian as long as they can go play in the world. Don't be afraid to let that go. Don't be afraid to let it go. You're not going to keep them in the kingdom. It's not your job. It's important. How we gauge who does any kind of discipleship weighs heavily upon their own holiness, not off what they know. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and you look at the qualifications for an overseer, there's about 15 qualifications there. Only one of them has to do with teaching. The rest of them have to do with conduct. Not only conduct, but how the world even perceives this person. So not only their reputation in the church, but their reputation outside the church before they're able to be an overseer. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, we've talked about that last time, but I want to highlight it again. It's it's important to remember for people who are looking to disciple or are looking for somebody to disciple them. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Further on, he says in 4.9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen, not from what I taught you, in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We gauge the people who do discipleship based on a holy life. We live in a culture that loves to sing popular Christian songs and advocate this sort of thing where it's like, it's okay to be all twisted and messed up because God loves you anyway, okay? It's okay to be twisted and messed up and struggle with the same sins over and over again because God loves you anyway. Find that in the Bible. If you can't find it in the Bible, stop singing about it. Holiness is our identity. Because lastly, this this is so important. Holiness is what introduces people to God in the world. It introduces people to God in the world. You've heard that statement. Your life, how you are, is the only Bible some people are ever going to read. That's true. That is true. I love that statement. It's a great statement. I had a a young man who uh, was an unbeliever. I was on campus sharing the gospel, and he said, um, he said, you know, Hitler was a Christian. And this is in the context of a, a larger argument, but I said, well, it's funny you say that, but you really need to gauge what a Christian is, not on what people profess to be, but rather how people behave. 
We ought to invite the world. Say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and you can tell that based on my life. You can, you can follow that person over there based on their life. It's, it's a life that follows Christ. Not based on somebody's professed faith. There's a lot of professing Christians, and they really seem to be ruining things for us, don't they? They go around sharing that they're Christian, that they love Jesus, that they were born again, and they live lives of debauchery, and we think, oh, those people are ruining it. No, they're not. They're not ruining it. They are furthermore making our light that much brighter. And what is our light? Matthew chapter five. You've heard this before. Jesus said, verse thir- we'll just start with verse, thir- verse 13 of chapter five of Matthew. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's not your pious behavior. It's your good works that cause people to say, wow, this person's completely different. This person stands completely different than anybody I've ever met. You know, the purpose of a lighthouse is not to see things. Lighthouses were never intended to see what was out in the ocean. Lighthouses were intended to be seen. They're intended to be seen by people in peril so that they can be safe. So they can understand the standard. In the same way, we as Christians, we must remember that our holiness is a beacon to the lost, to a lost and dark world. We can't keep going around saying, well, I'm not perfect, but Jesus is, so that's okay. That's not okay. That is weak sauce, and I hope nobody buys it from you. Why would I want to follow you if I'm not going to change? I need safe from my sin. I need change of behavior. I'm tired of being the type of person that knows to do right and does wrong anyway. Your theology is not going to help them out. Your false theology. There's enough pseudo-Christians out there trying to bring a current that would come against Christianity that it cannot stand against the church. She overcomes. She overcomes. In Hebrews 12, this was pointed out to me this morning, and such a great verse. Hebrews 12, verse 14, says it this way. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See that? For the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Your holiness is what people know about the Lord. When Philip, what Jesus was teaching the disciples, Philip struck up a a question because Jesus had alluded to this idea that if you've met Jesus, if you know Christ, then you've known the Father. And so it's in Luke, or I'm sorry, John chapter 14. I can never get there. John 14, starting in verse 7. If you had known me, Jesus said, you would have known my Father also. For from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, 
it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? I want an answer. You get, not get my point, Philip? Do you understand the amazing truth of that? That means that Jesus' physical ministry on earth was a perfect representation of our God. You want to know God, you get to know Jesus Christ. You learn Jesus Christ. That's how you're going to get to know God. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Remember Jesus, I'm sorry, John said in 1 John that anyone who is in Christ, who says that they're in Christ, ought to walk as he walked. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Get this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. Jesus said that in, in John 16 that it was necessary that he go to the Father so that he could send the helper. The helper to do what? Well, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but also so that we may do the works of Christ. So that we may be a beacon, so we may be that. When you, if you've ever met somebody who said, you know, I would believe in God if he just appeared to me right now, right? This little sarcastic thing people say. If God would just appear before me, then I would believe in him, Right? Have you ever heard that before? You've heard that? If they say that, you say, I'm going to tell you a story. And then you share your testimony. You share your testimony about how you walked in rebellion to God, just like they are. And then God saved you from your sin. And then you share, this is what God has done with me since then. If you want to meet God, if you want to know what God is like, right? And this is the call for discipleship, believe it or not. You do what Jesus did. You say, follow me. That's pretty heavy, right? But that's why we're here. We're here for that. We're here to be holy. We're here to be that example of who God is. And if you're not up for that, then you're in the wrong church. Because here we want people to strive for discipleship, to be an example of holiness. Now, if you're like me, you still struggle with temptation. You still struggle with sin. And so it kind of begs the question, well, that's great, Sam, being holy, being perfect as God is perfect, but I'm not. What am I supposed to do about that? Well, that's what leads us into the next milestone that we're going to talk about next week. Holiness is to faith as the flame is to fire. You're not going to get a flame without kindling. And you're not going to get holiness without faith. You might think, well, how come you didn't talk about faith first and then lead into holiness? Well, because that's not really how the Bible does it. The Bible shows you your need, shows you the demands on your life so that you understand you cannot do this. This is impossible for me to do. I can't do this. And then you understand what faith is for. Faith is for holiness. Faith saves and faith causes us to endure. Faith is, is the driving factor, the power that we have that we receive grace 
to be able to function as soldiers of the cross. That's what faith does. I'm not going to get into it until next week. Are you holy? Is holiness a concept to you? Or is holiness what you would consider your identity? I think it brings a whole other level of conviction when it comes to identity, doesn't it? This is personal. Holiness is personal to me. It's personal to me. I want to be just like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your wonderful love that you have provided a way for us to walk in the way that you walked. Lord, we want to be a beacon to the world. We want to show people who you are. I pray that you'd give us boldness to do that, to reject ourselves, to deny ourselves every day and to do as you would have us to do because you are worthy, because you give us the strength to do that. We love you. We pray you are glorified from lives that look like your life. In Jesus' name, amen.